Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yeah! <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, Dragon Talk. Whoa. Nice. Official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito. Yay! That, thank you. That's Shelly over there. Yay! Very exciting for you. This is. I'm very excited for this. Another wonderful episode. episode. We got an amazing interview with CJ McCullough, a yeah. tabletop role player and designer and educator and so many amazing things. World uh, we're gonna, builder. We're going to talk about their role on the Strix U and all the fun stuff that is going on with that show. Yes. So exciting. Yeah. Uh, and then we also have an amazing how to DM with a returning guest, Teos Abadea. Oh, my fave. Wonderful. You may know him as Alpha Stream and or as a flump. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I can't wait for that. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about how to DM Spelljammer. Honestly, don't know. Still trying to figure out how to DM the starter set. So uh, <laughs> this is going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be great. I think we should jump right in and figure that out. Let's yes, do it. Yes, please. Welcome to How to DM. I have a fantastic, wonderful returning guest, Teo Sabadia. How are Hello. you, my friend? Shelly, I'm doing extremely well. Uh, I am calling you from Spain. Space. space is a place, <laughs> according to Reggie Watts. Um, that, those both of your major episodes that I listened to recently, talking about all about the Spelljammer setting, and then talking about Space Jams. Those spell were jams. excellent to listen to. Space yeah. Jams is a different thing. Uh, spell what, jams. I, what did I say? I, oh, spell. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent soundtrack too. I'm sure, probably. Not, sure but, it uh, is. Yes, but, but yes. just different. Spell um, Jams uh, and Chris Funk is Portland. I'm Portland, yes. so... Represent. Mm-hmm. Do you know and that Chris Funk dealt the most damage I've ever seen at a D&D event? No, this is yeah, an he, interesting bit of trivia. He he had a big decision at the D&D Descent event that took place in L.A. Yeah. And he made what maybe would, we would consider the unwise but fun choice, and it inflicted an unbelievable amount of damage to every player. So it's probably the most damage any person has ever dealt in some kind of what? official D&D game capacity. What was it? Do you remember? No, I, I think I wrote it down somewhere, but it was something, I mean, unbelievable, right? It was thousands and thousands of hit points of damage across all those <laughs> What? What? Okay. It was a lot of damage. It was, it, was, it was definitely out of the 100 range. So. Oh, my God. It was in the thousands. I don't know how many, but it was a lot. I'll have to search my notes for that trivia. Way to go, man. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask him about that next time we chat. Hopefully, yeah. uh, we can convince him to curate a Spell Jams 2 because like it's it. amazing. Um, before we dive in, I just in case, I think everybody knows you, probably. Most people might know you as Alpha Stream on the socials. But for those who don't know you, you are a wonderful resource, a, an expert in all things D&D, but also a freelance author, a developer. You have a million projects in the works. You're a podcaster. We will promote all of these things uh, in the, the projects that you have coming up uh, at the end, but also a wonderful advocate in our D&D community or mm, a healthier you. RPG 
industry. And that's very important. So we do appreciate all of the work that you do and, and that you're putting out there. Thanks, Shelly. A lot of good people got me here. So I'm always trying to pay that back. Well, you are going to pay back all of these listeners who are wanting to DM Spelljammer and are like, what the what? What's happening here? <laughs> this is a setting that is unlike no other. Um, so we're going to talk about DMing Spelljammer. And I think, Ooh. I don't know, how do we even begin with the basics? What do we do? How yeah, do you DM yeah. it? Well, you know, I think the first thing that I think of with Spelljammer is that it's obviously like an interesting, different setting. And whenever I'm doing something that's different, I, I like to think about those differences and make sure those come across. Because there's a reason I picked this up off the shelf, right? Like it was like, oh, oh, ships in space, like space battles, um, meeting bizarre creatures, like all these kinds of things just seem really awesome. And so you want to make sure you do those things, right? You don't want to like bring in Firewall World and then have everybody sitting on a block of ice, right? You want to bring the things that make the <laughs> setting what it is. So yes. I think that's a lot what I'm excited to talk about today is kind of like what are those things that make it unique? And I think the first one is that the genre is super, super flexible, right? So if you, if you, anyone who's looked at the Spelljammer 5e setting will get this immediately because you have space clowns and then you mm. have like... Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> you have those scavers that are just super frightening sharks and you have yep. far realm horror stuff with tentacles. So, and, and then you have like elven nations and just all kinds of really interesting aspects. So what that lets you do is run any kind of genre you want as sort of your main predominant genre, right? So I can say, I'm going to run high fantasy, sort of like a D&D default campaign, or I'm going to go a little more pulpy and I'm going to really lean into the swashbuckling and the ship part and pirates and things like that, or I can go into horror. I mean, you can totally make Ravenloft seem tame, right? You could uh, pull from Event Horizon, right? With like, why is this base that we were supposed to go to totally empty? Um, and why does it seem to shift through time? Um, it can be aliens, right? We're on our way somewhere and the derelict spacecraft sends a weird sending spell. Mm. <laughs> and then there's this room full of weird egg things. Oh, let's check that yes. out, right? Um Comedy, you've got autonomes, you've got miniature and giant space hamsters at your Very disposal. True. So, you know, and you can mix and match that. So you can sort of say, like, here's my predominant tone, and then here are the things that I'm going to mix every now and then to kind of keep it interesting. And Spelljammer is awesome at letting you have that full range of things. I think that is so key because a lot of people do get hung up on like the one, like D and in space, or there's that, <laughs> it's funny and it's wild and it's, weird. And that was the impression I had going into this at mm -hmm. first when we first started talking about Spelljammer coming back. And Chris Lindsay kept repeating, no, it isn't. It's, it can be, but it's not yeah. just that. The adventure is very, very dark. It's intense. It's this and that. And like I could not. I'm like, but there's space whales and yeah. like these little goldfish. No, it isn't. Yeah, I mean Oh, yeah, any it novel, is. <laughs> any space novel movie you can think of, you can, you know, you have the material in, in the Spelljammer setting will let you do that, right? Those three books will let you create yeah. that because it has all of these raw parts and it isn't really declaring, you know, one way. It's not like it's built with horror rules or it's built with high fantasy rules. Like it's pretty flexible and open. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. All right. So we choose our genre, what direction yeah. we want to take this campaign. And then what? Well, speaking of direction, another big thing is travel, right? Because space is, is enormous. 
Um, and a lot of what we can do as a DM is decide to what extent we're going to make that travel interesting. And there are times when you want to skip travel because you just want to get to the next thing that's in your, you know, in your story and your plot. That makes sense. But you don't want to forget the cool things that make this setting awesome and that made you want to buy this and run this. And some of that is the concept of what's taking place, right? So it's travel, and I'm not going to go through all the rules because they're right there. Just pick up the book; they're great. Right. But um, but you are going to have one of probably one of the characters who is a spellcaster will choose to be the kind of captain and operate the spell jamming helm, which is sort of like a throne that you sit on and you're tuned to it. And now you can fly the ship. And not only do you fly the ship, but you can sort of see your perspective for vision can be anywhere within the sort of air bubble that's around the ship, which is really cool. Yeah. And, um, and you're moving the ship on your turn. And that's really awesome. It's a great way to kind of put a spotlight on one of the characters in, in your party uh, because they now get to play this captain role and will have a really important say in, in things, both in combat and in exploration. So one of the things we can do is apply other roles. And if you read, I think it's Adventure 2 or 3 of Spelljammer Academy, uh, you will find some ideas on roles. And also the DMs Guild and even like the 5e compatible game, uh, which is a sci-fi game using 5e called Esper Genesis, these all have roles uh, that you can use those ideas to further reinforce it. But it can be as simple as saying, okay, as my party is doing all these various things in our campaign, so who is taking an interest in maps and travel? And maybe the crew starts thinking of them as the navigator. Mm. And who develops great relationships with the crew? Well, maybe they're the quartermaster or boatswain um, and so on, right? You can sort of assign these nautical military roles uh, to people, the gunner, the uh, weapons master, whatever you want to call it, right? And that gives people sort of an identity and a role within the ship that can be a lot of fun to play with. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do play a magic user in our Spelljammer campaign. Chris Lindsay's yeah. our DM, and he has never once let me helm a Spelljammer. So does he have NPCs doing it? Well, I'll tell you, and I think you'll appreciate it, at first, it was Flapjack. Oh, yeah. yeah. Flapjack's pretty sweet. Yeah, I thought well, you might um, appreciate I happen to believe that Chris Lindsay does not love flumps, which is a problem. It is a problem. So what you could do, but this is, you, you've caught me in a catch-22, because my <laughs> what I was going to say was just murderize whoever is flying your ship. But now but that I know can't. it's a flump, I can't really advocate can't the killing of a flump. No. Um, so maybe befriend... Flapjack and convince Flapjack the Flump to let you take it out for a spin every now and then. So, because I'm a big in real life fan of Flapjack, I couldn't help yeah. but have that bleed into my character. And she was actually like a huge Flapjack fan in yeah. the D and D world. And I think she actually made him feel a bit awkward. And he actually doesn't like her very much. Oh no! <laughs> um, then you know what if you challenge Flapjack to who's the best pilot? <laughs> I bet Lindsay would bite at that. Now you can't let him listen to this episode, but I but I bet he would fall for that trap. If you were like, you know, Flapjack, I bet you I can fly this better than you. And then you just keep making that bet and uh, flying the ship. And because Chris is not as fond of flumps as clearly you and I are, he yeah. would probably be open to the idea of, you know, fla flump. Flapjack getting flump 
napped or, you know, <laughs> yeah, indisposed yeah. in some way. So somebody has to helm this ship. But I love it. And that yeah. is the thing that can happen, right? Like the, the, it's possible the party will say, none of us want to fly the ship. I want to keep doing all my full things that I do as a character. Yeah. We'll have an NPC. But those NPCs can then also be grounds for relationships and kind of cool things like that, right? You, you, can, you can get to know the crew. And that's another fun thing you can do. So like say there's like the people who just man the weapons, right? Yeah. And that's great. But uh, at least come up with one or two of them that have interesting personalities. So like the ballista crew that the party will think of, you know, whoever it is that is, is, is the, the main person on that ballista crew, right? And that can have a personality and identity. And for all this, you can use the DMs Guild has really cool tables for detailing NPCs. So you can use that to, to detail them out. And that can give somebody um, in, in the party a fun relationship to, to work with, right? Like especially if there's someone who thinks themselves as sort of the weapons person, then they can work with each of the siege crews and have this person they think of. You can also threaten them during battles, which makes it fun, right? Because now it's like, oh, no, you know, Cindy, the... Uh, the uh, catapult operator is, you know, being <laughs> pressed by hobgoblins and come to the rescue, um, or she can rescue you. Um, so those are fun things you can do. But the idea of roles and thinking about your crew and the places that that uh, the characters occupy on ships is great. Yeah. Another thing I love is messing with the, your air supply, and I don't mean the band. Oh, um, my first concert. Uh, mm, really? There you yeah. Go. <laughs> nice. I was poison rat. Oh yep, Pretty I definitely sweet. I saw that tour as well. Oh yeah. Um, so my taste was all over the board. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, me too. Um, the um, air supply is super cool because the way it works is whenever something leaves a planet and it's big enough or it's alive, it will bring a bubble of air with it. And for a person, it's like the size you are. So a small or medium creature is like a five foot square. Uh, a large one is ten feet, and so on. But a ship, it's whatever, or a large object, it's whatever the longest axis is. That's how big the bubble is. Um, and so it's pretty easy to see, and you can check out the rules for the full part of it. But what it means is that you've got a bunch of air. In fact, it lasts 120 days for a ship. And so if you go to a fresh planet and you get nice air and you, you know, got 120 days of fresh air, 120 days later, it goes to foul. Foul gives you the poisoned condition. So you want to find a source of fresh air to freshen that up. If you were to go another 120 days, it's now basically exhausted air. It's deadly, and you will have to hold your breath. And so oh, you can geez. see the DMG's suffocation rules for that. Uh, but it doesn't last long. You will have a couple of minutes and then a few rounds, and then you'll be dying. Oh, my gosh. Um, so what that works well is not a thing that you necessarily want to get to. Like, you don't want your whole party um, you know, suffocating. <laughs> but the threat of it can be a fun thing to play with. So you can do things like, say, the ship that has this nice air bubble comes up to an asteroid. The asteroid has no air. So now they've got to be like an away team, right, and decide who's going to leave the safety of the air bubble with their little personal bubble that only lasts a minute. Oh, jeez. And there could be little pockets of air, right? But you can kind of play with that sort of exploration scene to make a really kind of thing where, like, really cool thing where you're going into, you know, this... Uh, cavern in the asteroid and then you find a pocket of air and then you've got to move a little longer and then find another pocket or you could create something like a smaller ship that they have sort of the idea of a rowboat you know like yeah. you've got your galleon on the ocean and then you, you don't take that all the way to the beach you take a small rowboat so they could have a smaller ship and you can make up those rules there aren't any rules for that so you could say like well the air lasts 20 minutes and then it becomes foul Another 20 minutes, it becomes deadly. So all those things give you some neat ideas that you can play with to kind of ratchet up tension. 
and sort of dictate the dynamics of how everybody's moving around. So does the amount of people or characters breathing the same air impact how much fresh air there is? Does that change the 120 days or is it? I think it's all based on the typical crew of a ship. So if you were to double it, it would. Um, or you could figure out some sort of ratio like that. But one thing that's interesting is if two ships or two objects that have air of different quality come together, oh. the largest one wins. So you can also do things like say, oh, look, here's this scary ship that's loaded up with skeletons and other undead. That's just scary because of what it is. But if you also see that the air is foul and it's a bigger ship than yours, You're that's extra dangerous because the undead are probably immune to being poisoned. Your crew isn't. So now you're all suffering from the poison condition and until you can find better. Uh, and in fact, if the ship had no air, you would really not want to get close to it. So that kind of brings us to our next topic, which is ship-to-ship combat. Yeah. Now, first of all, can you actually see foul air? Does it look different? Or we wouldn't I mean, know until we're like, oh, getting a whiff of that. You know, that's the kind of thing that depending on the scene, you could decide, right? So as a DM, I like to say there's no answer to that except the answer that I want to give. So I could, I could describe nice. qualities about it, right? There are fumes or a film around the edge of the air bubble would be cool, something like that that looks nasty. Yeah. Or the lack of an air bubble, right? Those things I might do when I want people to know. Like, you don't want to approach this ship. It will remove your air envelope, right? Um, so those kinds of things can be really interesting and fun Ooh. to play with if you want to give them tips or call for a role. If it's not such a big deal and they don't have to know, then they could, you could have them make some checks and see if they figure it out. Okay. That is actually quite terrifying to think about <laughs> yeah, that yeah, your air can be contaminated in that way. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, the ship to ship combat, that's a whole uh, new thing as well. Uh, not only are you characters fighting other, you know, NPCs, foes, creatures, monsters, but your ship can also be getting pummeled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The good so. news is ships have a lot of hit points, but it can be a lot of fun to exchange siege weapon fire, which is generally what these ships are doing to one to, to each other. Um, and the way it works is fairly simple. Like there are rules in the DMG, which are reprinted in Spelljammer for here's what this siege weapon does, right? You fire a ballista, and if it hits something, it does a bunch of damage. If it's a cannon, it does even more. And you usually the way it's going to work is you're rolling initiative and on the captain's turn, the captain gets to decide where to move the ship. And then you can kind of decide how you want to handle weapons. Do you want it to be on the captain's turn, sort of because they're calling it? If you have a role like a weapon master, it could be pretty fun to have it be on their initiative that the siege weapons all fire. You know, What I usually don't do is give initiative to the crews. If a crew is just going to fire that ballista, I'll just have it go on what I like to call the ship's turn or on a weapon master's turn or some NPC's turn that, that, uh, that you know, is associated with those crews. And just because it's fun to be like, fire now, you know, and then, then all the ship's weapons fire. Um, there's no <laughs> facing, so the rear weapon can fire as well as the front weapon, regardless of where the target is in Spelljammer. It's all pretty simplified, which is good because that would be a pain to calculate. Yeah. Siege weapons can have a really long range. So one of the big questions to ask yourself with any ship combat as a DM is, what do I want this combat to feel like? Do I want it to be that we immediately crash together and board and it's a pulpy skirmish with you know people swinging from ropes onto the other deck and maybe fighting 
uh, on the enemy ship, like maybe it's a cool mind flare ship and you're fighting through all the different levels of it and exploring it, that can be awesome. So if that's the case, you don't want to start really far away because then we're going to be doing a siege weapon battle. Right. If on, the, on the other hand, you want a siege weapon battle, then the further you start, the less likely we are to actually board one another and the more that we're going to exchange fire round after round. So there's an encounter distance table in the rules, and you can use that and sort of think through how close to be or not. And the other thing is to make the, the cues, give cues so the players know the goal and the enemy's goal. So it, you could say something like, you know, give me a check and any half reasonable role that one of them will make will say, you think this is this famous pirate so-and-so who never takes prisoners and destroys ships everywhere they go. Okay, it's a siege battle if we want it to be, right? Um, or you can just see the intent. They're all getting the weapons crews ready. Like, this is really a ship that wants to use siege warfare. Or you see them all preparing to board you. And then you can let the players decide, because we can always make a new encounter if they want to do something else. But, but at least the players know what we're providing to them, right? The sort of way we dressed it up. And we have that starting encounter distance, and a lot of that will drive the action. Mm. That's really cool. Yes, we've had definitely in our game some ship to ship combats. Definitely yeah. encountered some of those mind flayer ships. Oh, I uh, love the Nautiloids. And cool. you know, Salt Marsh, Ghost of Salt Marsh, has a bunch of different ideas on how you can do ship combat. It has full mm. stat blocks for, for those types of ships. And you can take that approach if you want and even have a ship run on its initiative, which I actually really like the ship to just have its initiative. And then the captain can move it on theirs, but the ship is firing on its own initiative. Oh, uh, that's It has cool. ideas for customizing ships and also some ideas on assigning roles and things like that. So it's worth looking at Saltmarsh and seeing what out of there do you want to borrow and use. And the DM's Guild is already full of all kinds of really cool supplements that also give you these ideas for customizing ships and, and you know, all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. It's really fun. A lot of really people creative. inspired by this campaign for sure. Yeah. Um, well, one of the other cool things about being out there in space is exploration. So uh, we should talk about that. It's one of my favorite parts of Spelljammer because I, when, when I first got into Spelljammer, I actually thought it was sort of silly and I didn't want to buy it. And my players bought it and said, you will now run this. And I said, okay. <laughs> the and then I read it and I was like, well, this is actually kind of cool. And I started using it. I realized that Spelljammer was sort of like the show I was watching then, Star Trek Next Generation, where every week we could visit a different world and I could use anything in my entire D&D bookshelf. And in fact, other games as well. And make worlds out of that, right? So I could have Desert World one week and pull Dark Sun Monsters, which... There are some in the, in the monster books um, for 5e. Uh, and, or I could say, like, you know, I'm going to take, I'm going to make it a jungle world or a jungle continent, and I'm going to use part of a tomb from Tomb of Annihilation or even mm -hmm. an encounter from Tomb of Annihilation, right? Um, I'm going to make a world where the PCs are tiny, and so I'm going to use Storm King's Thunder to put in giants, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, just borrow a piece out of that. Uh, I'm going to take uh, Tyranny of Dragons because everybody in this planet worships dragons and so on. So your entire bookshelf can just be used to fuel your sort of weekly, and now we end up in the world of blah, 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 right? <laughs> and, and that's neat. It can also be what you just drop in as encounters, right? You're, you're flying through wild space. 
you see an interesting looking planet gleaming in the distance, you want to check it out. Oh, here's what it is, right? Um, so so I love that aspect of exploration and different wild space encounters. And it's worth mentioning the ships move so quickly. So you can fly when you're not near other objects. When you're, when you're near an object, you move your normal listed ship speed. When you're not near another object, you can move 100 million miles in 24 hours. A hundred million miles. Yeah, and so that means that uh, in a day you could go from Earth to Mars in our world, mm-hmm. and in over a week you could get to Saturn. Okay. And so that gives us a nice latitude. That's a nice speed to say that, you know, in a couple weeks you're getting through a system, a wild space system, which gives us good time to stop along the way, like pick up some air from one place, um, you know, explore a planet, come across an asteroid, a derelict ship, things like that. And that can be a really nice experience that's happening in your campaign in any particular system. And then if you leave the system, you eventually get to the astral sea, uh, which I think Chris described pretty well in, in, in your earlier segment, Chris Lindsay did. Um, and then you can go into another wild space system after that. So campaign-wise, I like to think through plot arcs where I think through, okay, here's what's going on in my story. Uh, maybe, you know, we're up against an evil astral elf tyrant. And when we visit an exciting desert planet, we see the damage that the tyrant has wrought. It's affected this place too. And then we have, you know, very Star Trek kind of like deadly desert creatures in a gladiatorial arena type thing. And then uh, another campaign could be more like Alien. And that's where we have like the derelict spacecraft, you know, that calls us to investigate it. And then we have to figure out where these aliens come from and what else is going on here. Um, Star Trek campaigns can sort of work like a job board approach where your organization is sending you to strange new worlds every week uh, to check in on what what is there, catalog it, right? Uh, You could take any kind of interesting society, like you could take all the patron ideas that are in like the Eberron book or Tasha's and say, okay, you know, this organization has this interest and so they send you to these places to, to follow up on things. Or a Star Wars campaign, right? Where like, starting or joining a rebellion that's in place. Uh, the first ever adventure for Spelljammer 2nd Edition, uh, back, way back when, had a Beholder Death Star. <laughs> ah. so, so you can certainly use that idea because it even exists in official D&D. Yes, of course it should. Yeah, so like, you're, this really does literally open up the entire world for you. I love that approach to just visiting yeah. all of these different worlds. It's so fun. You can really just do anything with Spelljammer. It's complete freedom for the DM to be creative. And, and the thing is, like, if you mess it up, well, next week you can go somewhere else. So, there you, you go. Know, if you accidentally if blow up rolled, that planet, it's okay. Right. There's others. Right. Mistakes were made. <laughs> Oopsie. Mm-hmm. Um, that is awesome. So we, we have kind of talked a little bit about some of the weird and wild and wonderful beings that you may encounter in the world of Spelljammer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on the Plasmoid fan club, yeah. That's my character. Jellicoo. Right. So, yeah, Plasmoids are probably the most normal among them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do we do? How do you, um, what do you, like, there's, you open up Boo's monster menagerie and then how does your brain just zero in? How do you know where, where to go with all these creatures? Yeah, I mean, there's so many that, that I like to just sort of think of like, all right, 
I'm going to pace myself. I'm not going to, what I don't usually do is say, take someone to the Rock Abral, which is a, a bass that is included in the Spelljammer set, yeah. and just show everybody everything. Because while factually speaking, setting-wise, there are probably representatives of everything there, it'll just overload all the players. Uh, so no matter what my story is, I'm going to dull these out over time. The cool monsters, the cool races, all of that. I'm going to space it out. And there are you know, differences between the ones that they could choose as player characters if they want to, like plasmoids and autonomes, and then things like the Mercane, who are traders. And those are not a player character ancestry. They are a monster, right? So those creatures are, are things that they can uh, meet over time. Uh, and anything that they don't choose to play, like if no one is a gift, then now that's fair game to really have it be a cool moment when they meet the gift for the very first time. Yeah. And the cultures are so interesting. And the 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 cultural opportunities between things like the the gif who often favor large explosives, right? And carry gunpowder and and uh, rent themselves out for battle. You know, you can really play with that the first time and sort of have an iconic experience and then play against type later in the future, right? And sort of open up what that is. You can also do things like if we're going to a planet, uh, you know, I can certainly have Thrycreen and I can say, all right, there's a Thrycreen nation of these mantis type warriors. And I can roll in the DMG to just figure out the personality and say that that's sort of what that nation is like. Right. Mm -hmm. And apply it as a sort of yeah. uh, cultural overlay for the people that they're meeting, which works for those kinds of Star Trek scenarios. And then you can have the individuals be different from that type to make it interesting. But that lets you sort of use those rules that are in the DMG to flesh out an entire kind of nation or, or region of a planet. Oh, that's with all really this, cool. it's really fun to kind of know that you don't know initially necessarily if someone is friend or foe. Yeah. And that's going to make these interactions interesting. Uh, always a key to NPCs. If they do things that are helpful for the party, then the party likes them, right? Right. Uh, the autonome that says that they can work on your ship and improve it, right? Yes, please do that. <laughs> the player <laughs> characters are going to be super excited to see, you know, how you can make them uh, an away shuttle that they can use to explore places with no air. Like, absolutely, yes. right? Yes, we know how important that is now. Um, so, I, I mean, there are just so many fantastical creatures in here. I would just want them all. Yeah. As a dungeon yeah. master. But I mean, I always find that that campaigns, even when they run for a year or more, I can't cover all of it, right? But no. So choose your favorites. Don't be afraid to to go with what you love the most right up front. You will always come up with more ideas later. But uh, but get those neat things out there, and then you can have them recur when, when the players like it. I mean, that's the golden rule. Is if your players liked it, you do more of that, right? And so you, right. Can, you can always bring them back. Um, and then leave the, the least favorites for later because maybe you won't get to them. <laughs> That's true. Yes, prioritize. Prioritize your content. Yeah. Um, so I, one of my favorite things about Spelljammer is the Rock of Brawl. What so a wacky little place that is. I, yeah. Chris Lindsay and I just had so much fun one day. He had the PDF and he was just like, where do you want to go today? And just explaining and showing me all of the different locations that were there. It really felt like our own little version of like a Rick Steves show. Like, oh, okay. So you have nice. you have 24 hours on the Rock of Brawl. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the and Rock so of Brawl is great. I, it, yeah. You know, it existed in second edition. 
and it's been improved upon in fifth edition. And it is a, a, a huge asteroid city that was founded by pirates. So it's got a little bit of a rough edge to it. Yes. Uh, and it now has a sort of royalty that has been over time crowned there. And, and, and there, there's plenty of nefarious schemes going on with the royalty and different camps and groups and so on. And you can place that asteroid anywhere. Officially in the rules, it can be wherever you want. And so that gives you a lot of flexibility to have a big place where everybody does actually know about spell jamming. And yeah. I love that as a sort of home base or recurring stop that you can have in a campaign. It's important to have those. I think you know, it's definitely places. important in this campaign. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how does, how does it get used in your campaign? Uh, we haven't been back. <laughs> we started oh, in okay. Waterdeep yeah. and just kept, yeah. we haven't, we don't, we don't even know. Um, so it can be a great source of information and, and you know a sort of single stop like that, but it also yeah. can be a place where when your characters need anything, they go, let's go back we to did. the Rock of That's Brock. true. We did. Yeah. That we have yeah. visited the market there and mm-hmm. we did we did have about twenty four hours there, caused a little trouble and took mm-hmm. off again. But before it yeah, before yeah. people remember you. Yeah. Home yeah, base is important though. The other thing you can do is most large areas if you choose, could have a small place that knows about spell jamming. And this is the way that sort of second edition would treat things. And fifth edition doesn't really talk about this, but in the previous editions would sort of say like Waterdeep, you know, spell jammers will come nearby and then they'll dock the ones that float they'll, they'll, or they'll land on the water and then they'll come up as if they're a normal, normal ship mm-hmm. and dock as if they were just, you know, a seagoing vessel. So some people in the know would know, oh, that's a spell jam. Or other people go, oh, wow, that's a fancy looking, you know, galleon you've got there. Um, so you can do that as well, right? Find places that know uh, of you, or maybe there's a wizard's tower that is, you know, on a star chart, things like that. So you can establish other bases. The Astral Sea is awesome because it's got like crumbling ruins that never age, um, you know, that are just so incredibly ancient, Right. And cleaning a place like that out and making it base can be a really safe place that they can establish. The characters can be in charge of it, can decide how they customize it, and then can return to it whenever they need a place of refuge. The other option is your ship can always be your home base. True. And the more that you allow players to um, kind of update it, you can use rules like in Acquisitions Incorporated to update your ship, uh, add to it, add features to it, and that can make it really neat, right? If you've got your quarters all set up and you've got maybe you add an extra level to it or even over time upgrade it, right? Like one of the fun things in ship battles is sort of deciding like, I don't know that we want to destroy that ship. I think we want that ship, right? Like, yes. And then that becomes your home. Yes. Oh, yeah. Very cool. So what I'm hearing is Spelljammer is a just a very large canvas for dungeon <laughs> masters to create their masterpiece on. There is yeah, so absolutely. much customization that you can do here. Literally the whole world is open to you. Yeah, and just like species, right? Ships is another fun thing that we can do over time. Like, you know, don't let them see every single ship that's out there. It's fun when they see their first like hammerhead ship or their right. first uh, scorpion one with the claws that, you know, can grab like yeah, or a nautiloid, right, that can grab you as well. Like those kinds of things are neat. And so pace that out and put in uh, different types of encounters so they get all, you know, impressed by everything that shows up and want the next thing to come out. Oh, what other candy do you have, you know, behind your Yes, DM's? that seems to be the hardest part for me, w- would be as a DM is 
parsing it out and not just throwing like, oh, this is a space <laughs> whale and a nautilite ship and a star moth and the, all these elves are doing terrible things. And, oh, but let's stop stop at the happy beholder and meet Luigi yeah. first because why not? Great? I mean, yes. that's a perfect example, right? Your bartender's a beholder. Do you know I TPK'd my party in Spelljammer 2nd Edition with a beholder? No. Uh, it was lawful good and it was going to be their quest giver, but it did not oh. speak common. And so they landed on this asteroid following a star chart map, and it appeared and it spoke to them. And they immediately made to attack it, so I rolled initiative. It won. It tried to speak to them, and again, they couldn't understand it. Then they attacked it, and then the next round, it began to TPK them. And then oh, two no. rounds later, everybody was dead, and we rolled up new characters, and I explained to them this had been their quest giver, and we all had a good laugh about that. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you know what? They're the ones that made you... Run Spelljammer. So. I mean, I gave them two rounds. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's what they get. That's what they get. <laughs> uh, a note, no, I'm very thankful to them. Yeah, for sure. A note on the star charts, when I first read about the star charts, I got all excited because for some reason I thought it was like astrological charts. Oh. And I, when we went to the Rock of Brawl, Jelly Goo wanted to get her, her chart done. And Chris <laughs> Lindsay was like, I... Where? What do I don't even know how to do? That. I can't even role play this. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, I'm going to the star chart place. I just need to know like the place and time of my yeah. birth, right? And then, right? That he was like, it's not that. That's not mm-hmm. what a star chart is. I was just like mad that Chris Lindsay wouldn't read my chart. <laughs> mean, meany, mean. Come on, man. But anyway, that was just an aside. Well, Teos, as usual. This yes. is amazing and filled with inspiration and thoughtfulness. And your players are so lucky because <laughs> thank you. <laughs> what very kind. this so, so it's even cooler than I thought it was. Even more exciting um, and really just an absolute playground for anyone who wants to create their own world within this world. For players who want to create really fun, exciting players or our characters. There's so much to do here. This is only scratching the surface, but so many good ideas. So thank you. Yeah. All, all I ask for in return is a Flapjack fan club t-shirt that should be an official Wizards t-shirt, I, I believe. Yeah, Jelly Goo has, was the self-proclaimed president of the fan club. I think mm-hmm. it was like a like not an official fan club, though. <laughs> um, Flapjack uh-huh. was not having it. Just a little tip, if you meet him, <laughs> he's really like not that into selfies. And nice. so humble. high praise. Very mm-hmm. awkward. So, um, But if people want to give you high praise for all of the work that you are doing and just find out more about what you're doing and learn about your future projects, where should we send them? Ooh, uh, you can find everything about me at alphastream.org. From there, you can find uh, a whole blog series, actually, that I wrote for Roll20 about Spelljammer, oh. reviewing the, the official books. Um, and then uh, I will at some point in the future have a sort of Spelljammer-ish ship-to-ship combat type project that I can't talk about yet, but it will come out at some point, and that'll be okay. through my website. Uh, there is a YouTube series that I'm launching called Success yeah. in RPGs that helps creators identify what success is in the RPG industry and I how to that. attain that success. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to see people like the first two episodes. Um, I will be, some of my monsters will be in the Flea Mortals monster project that MCDM is doing. Amazing. And there'll be another monster project that I'm really excited about uh, next year. 
the Mastering Dungeons podcast. You can always find me there. We've been having a great time discussing the one D&D playtest that we're super excited about. Uh, and then I have a Patreon where I do things like talk to uh, all the supporters about what kind of fun things we can do. The latest that I'm about to really turn on is they voted on the idea of my next adventure being an Ocean's Eleven-type heist involving you, all the player characters are flumps in the uh, Underdark. Amazing. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really wacky. And so, yeah, everybody who's part of the, of the Patreon will get to help craft that. And, and I'll also weave that into the success in RPGs videos as sort of the design side teaching. So uh, always appreciate folks uh, that find me on alphastream.org or Twitter, alphastream as well. Amazing. So there's always, uh, there's no shortage of projects that you're working on and contributing to. And again, our little hobby is better because you are in it. So love it. And I love all the work you guys do. So thank you for that. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. And now go DM Spelljammer and tell us all about it. That was, wow. Do you know now? Do you think you're going to sail the astral sea? I do kind of feel like, wouldn't it be fun to incorporate a little spell jammer into anything? Any campaign? Like, why couldn't the kids that I want to DM for just blast off into space and then have a little something, something, and then come back down to wherever? You know what? We haven't talked enough about this, but Amy Vorpal wrote an amazing adventure that's in Candlekeep Mysteries that... Spoiler alert, maybe it'll be a jumping off point for exactly what you're talking about. Okay, you're exactly right, and I may need to revisit that. Let's revisit that and then run it for kids. Kids and kids. D&Ds. They love it. That'd they be do. exciting. Um, but now we're going to talk to uh, another amazing individual uh, about all of their fun stuff. So yeah. let's get CJ McCullough on the horn. Let's welcome CJ McCullough to Dragon Talk. Yay! Woo-hoo, CJ! <laughs> CJ, I love you. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Lots of CJ fans in our studio audience today. They were CJ. chanting when, when you arrived. CJ, they were like, CJ. 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 Oh, they're yeah. starting again. <laughs> CJ, we got the hype people are out today. Very excited to welcome you, CJ. You're a, a, a game designer, a storyteller, performer. You're on uh, an amazing show called The Strix U, which we heard about um, uh, a few months ago from your DM. So very excited to delve into that. But welcome. I'm so excited. Yes, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And yes, The Strix U, my heart. <laughs> How's that yeah. been going? Uh, it has been going just absolutely, really, like, amazing, amazing. I love it. Um, like, at time of recording, we have um, our episode tonight, and then, and, like, we'll be continuing posting, like, I think until mid-October. Um, so just kind of every two weeks, and it's just, it's it's really, it's really invigorating. Honestly, that's kind of the best word I can use. <laughs> uh, that is an amazing way to describe this. And I know, as Greg said, it's been a, a minute since we heard about Strix U. So why don't, can you tell us how you got involved in the, this project? Yeah, I would love to. Um, so in terms of just like 
how I got honestly dragged onto it, not even like reluctantly. <laughs> um, I just received like a message from Lexi because me and Lexi had met through Twitter and I had like, I'd reach out to them like, hey, you're cool. Do you want to like do projects together? And like, she's like, yeah, I want to do projects together. Um, and just from there, it was like a back and forth of like Lexi coming onto my show or like me playing a game with Lexi. And then like Lexi eventually like messaging me like, out of the blue one day, like, hey, do you want to like, do you want to be on like this project? Do you want to be like, um, like an all black game? And I'm like, and I, immediately, no hesitation. I just was like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, of course. Like I, I knew no information about it. Uh, I knew nothing. And then all of a sudden, uh, Lexi throws me into a like group DM and we all just hit it off like immediately. That is the sign of a good dungeon master that can, that knows the type of group that's going to gel so well together. For sure. What were you kicking and screaming about? What What was not exciting about? Oh this no, at I was first? not kicking and screaming. <laughs> oh, like, not kicking. Okay. Like, like I, I say dragged because it was more of like I knew nothing going into it, and I was like okay with that. Oh, um, you you didn't know how to was this your first foray into D and D? No, I just like. I, it's just that <laughs> ordinarily when someone like asks me to play a game, it's like, Hey, like, here's, here's some information on it. Or like, this is what you can expect. So with, with Lexi, it was kind of like, Hey, do you want to do this thing? And I immediately was like, I didn't ask any questions. It was a yeah. very short pitch. Yeah. pitch meeting. Yeah. I was like, do you want to do it? Yes. Yes, I yeah. do. That's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Like, they, like she just happened to say the right words uh, <laughs> any given day, honestly. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like, I don't need any more information, please. Like, I'll put the blindfold on myself. <laughs> <laughs> I trust well, you. And then I just, I, I, when we were talking to Lexi, I loved hearing this concept. But can you tell like, a little bit about your character as it pertains to, to Strixute? Yeah, yeah. So it's actually really funny that I'm being asked about this because I am the not only self-identified, but like I'm the foil of the party for the most Mm. part. So I play (laughs) Amethyst Wilson, uh, a forge cleric uh, who is very tall. That's the joke. Um, (laughs) She is six foot five and (gasps) a tiefling. And I love her with all of my heart. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. God, I could talk about her all day, but she is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm here for it. That's what podcasters I, love to hear. Greg, go pick your kid up from school. <laughs> no, let's hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She is like, she's named Amethyst after the purple hue of her skin. Uh-huh. Um, and in terms of like her relationship to the party and to Strix Hue, she's a transfer student. Mm. So as I've, I've said, so I host the talk back for the Strix. So it's the week after like, the episodes come out. So today being Wednesday, like next Wednesday, I'll be like sitting down with a couple of other castmates and talking through like, Hey, what was our favorite moments? Like, what did you, what went through you designing this character? Um, And when it comes to Amethyst and being the, like the transfer, one of the two transfers of the group, I say a lot of the time she is like the audience stand in uh, because she doesn't know anything about like the, like Strixhaven university. Nice. That makes very that, easy to be the the giver of information. Yes. By, by osmosis. When you said she's a transfer student, I did. I felt like that's a very deliberate choice. Like 
being the transfer student, but was, so was that the intention so that this role could exist? Uh, So I, well, most of us, if not all all of us basically talked about like, Hey, a lot of our characters have things that like we know. Um, And I, as like a college student was a transfer student. So the first thing I was like, was I want to do this. Um, Also, I love being lost. (laughs) That's a good (laughs) attitude. (laughs) I like play the that. Game called the Get I, Lost Game, where you lost drive game. until you don't know where you are, and yeah. then find cute. your way back. I, yeah, is it was that pre cell phones and it was pre GPS? Yes. Did you course. have to pull out your AAA triptych map or like <laughs> unfold a map across your dashboard like yeah. old movies? It can be fun, man. I like this concept, CJ, of being like the transfer student because mm-hmm. one of my biggest. I'll never get over this insecurity with D&D is I don't, me, Shelly, I do not know as much about D&D lore as the people I generally play with for the yeah. most part. And like just the other day, I, we were fighting something and I used necrotic damage and the DM was like, yeah, so this creature is immune to that. And I feel like, well, I bet everybody else knew that, <laughs> except I didn't. I didn't realize that. Um, so I do like to... The idea of playing a character that's like, "Hi, I'm new here. Like, I've this is my first fight. Like, I I don't know. Yes. Just because it makes me feel more protected as a player. But um, I don't know. It's also obviously a great idea when you you are playing with a with an audience. You know, to keep them up to date and make sure that they also feel invested and and educated on the storyline. But I don't know. Just an aside about player insecurity. Where, yeah. did, where did where did Amethyst come from? Uh, so Amethyst, uh, I think Amethyst at first was like, not to this is this happens a lot was uh, like a joke like was at one version of Amethyst was like a character that was non serious because I didn't know what I wanted, uh, but I think uh, I had said like I like remember looking back into the messages and saying I'm going to play a character called Will the Smith like. <laughs> Like, yeah, like just kind of me throwing out jokes to be like, well, okay, well, that means I want to play a Forge cleric. Like, I want to play like someone that makes weapons because I think that's cool. Um, and then after just kind of like ruminating for a little bit, I ended up, um, ended up thinking like, uh, well, okay, I know I want to play a Forge cleric, but like, what do I want this character to represent for myself? Or how do I want this character to be kind of like perceived in a game that like is about like kind of the black experience and just in general like joy and eventually i came on to amethyst which was a name from like an old character that i never got to play that i was Mm. like okay well i like this name uh and then amethyst i think the me naming her amethyst made me go okay well purple that's (laughs) might as well just might as well like go with the bits um, and then I, th- and then kind of personality wise, I think for me, Amethyst represents a lot of like my passions as a game designer and kind of like Amethyst is very intense. Mm-hmm. And I, I say this a lot, um, because Amethyst is very driven, which like I can relate to. However, Amethyst is also very disciplined. Like Amethyst gets up in the more every day mm. uh, and prays to her weapon and like works out to make sure that she can like literally smith the best tools. Um, and it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, me with some someone with like ADHD, like I, I have a lot of problems with discipline. So let me play something a little bit more different and see how much I can see how like far I can get with that. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that D D. 
and and all role playing kind of does is be like, I'm going to borrow this persona and see mm-hmm. if I can Try learn something from it, or or you know just explore different possibilities. Yeah, mm-hmm. is this like typical as to how you would come up with your character ideas? Or I'm always curious, like where people generate the ideas for the characters they're drawn to. Uh, yeah, for the most part, I usually think about something that I like, um, and then kind of like work from there. Uh, I think it's twofold. I think I think about something that I enjoy, like something that I enjoy, maybe like from media that I've consumed or something that's like really got that I've been really like hyperfixating on recently. And then I think like, what class do I want to play when it comes to like D and D for the most part? Uh, and then I kind of take those two things and just kind of see what can be built from there. Yeah. And then how much of your background as a game designer influences how you play or the types of characters you play? Do you try to just like create, I don't know, like break characters? Or are you just curious about combinations? Uh, in terms of like, oh, uh, I'd say that, well, my like my game designer uh, brain influences everything I do. <laughs> um, yeah. I spend a lot of time just thinking um but in terms of like creating characters i think i often i think i often come to a point of saying like what is this character what is what part is in me of this character and i think that also that that usually does shine through my game design like what am i putting in here so that i can see, so that one i know like what i will want to do or what i'm doing during gameplay and two like how is this going to be perceived by everyone else because like in actual plays perception matters a big part of the time um and even like during like even during home games i think like i there's a there's a lot of like hey like what am i what am i shooting for here like what what do i want here like what am i trying to make how can i be as intentional as possible with my choices here and also how can i have fun right it's time it's fun to to flip it on its table there too um yeah yeah, so uh, I, I when we were talking to Lexi about about Strixio, I just loved that she took something that was, uh, an, you know, established lore in Strixhaven from from Magic: The Gathering, and then filtered through D and D, and then and then completely new spin on it using you know the historically black colleges as a as an experience as a background under the magical university umbrella. How how did that work together with uh, your your kind of character game design brain, but then also uh, importing all of the the ideas that she wanted to kind of get across in in Strixio. I, I, as I think a lot, I think a lot about actual plays. I think a lot about like character stuff. I think a, like I, I, it's 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 the thing I love. Um, so in terms of like when it comes to like the way that I approach things and the way that like Strixio goes about things, it's very um, collaborative and beautiful. And Lexi lets me um, scream in her DMs at 4 a.m. Uh, it's all very caps. collaborative. All caps. <laughs> I'm like, hey, what about this? Um, <laughs> and Lexi is really good at facilitating a lot of the things that like we like, like Lexi's really good at facilitating a lot of like conversations and the things that we want. And I also, when it comes to the thoughts that I have about like the campaign, I like, I'm, it's, it's very much an open process. Um, because I, one of the times I had noticed that like one of the players was like kind of struggling with something and I had DM'd Lexi or I had said something like, Hey, like, uh, what if we did this? Or what if like a lot of the things that we do center around like one question? Because that tends to be how I like go about my like GMing or kind of like storytelling. Um, and Lexi kind of like bounced back and forth and it was like really, yeah. And it was like a very short conversation, but I 
I know that like moving forward from there, um, we did kind of as a group end up doing a lot more things. So like if somebody says something, um, it gets listened to. Um, and that's kind of like my favorite part of the Shrix. Like every idea is a good idea. And if it's, <laughs> I can't even say if it's not a good idea because every idea is a good idea. That's just like, that's just, the, that's the truth of the Shrix. <laughs> it's the ultimate yes and, right? It's like, yeah. okay, let's, mm-hmm. let's incorporate it and figure out how. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is good. This is a good lesson for the show is for dungeon masters and training, and even for players to see how good groups work together and support each other. I love the idea of you running that talk back. How did how did that yep. come about? And or like, what have you learned by by being the interviewer of your fellow party mates afterwards? Uh, it actually came back uh, because uh, my, a good friend of mine, Navar of the Secret Nerd Podcast, um, said something to me, um, and I was like, "That's re- like I love that. That's a really good idea." Also, uh, because I already do podcasting, um, it was a very natural like. Once someone said it to me, and once I said it to the crew, it was a, it was very much of like four days later. Yes, let's get this going. Like we're going to do this. Um, That's cool. Yeah, um, and. Something that I learn every time I like do a show or I talk to someone on about any topic, especially when it comes to like TTRPGs, um, is that like you get so much robust, not even just content, but like conversation. You get a lot of robust conversation in terms of like you you get to go beyond like the first question I'll say like hey like what did this mean to you and then somehow you end up down like. A small. This actually has happened. Sometimes, somehow, you end up down like a role play about how your characters will break up with other fictional characters, like <laughs> via text, of course. Uh, post-it note. You know, <laughs> you're calling. You're calling me out <laughs> like this. It was that was my response, and everyone yelled at me. I said, Ameth- <laughs> "I said Amethyst will break up with someone like over text." Everyone's like, "Boo!" And I was like, "No, if." You're staying true to the character. Yes. It was mad at me. And I was like, you guys need to relax. (laughs) (laughs) Who uses their phone anymore? I have a friend who he would break up with uh, people by taking a walk. And they would look, they were always side by side and he never had to like look her in the eye. (laughs) When he would break up with people. But he would take them on a walk around a lake that's like three miles. And we were like, this is a terrible idea. Like, what do you do at like mile two? You've already broken up. To, have to like time it to the end of the mile. It's like, oh my god, this was a really great yeah, conversation. Yeah, uh, and then like you. By the way, we're breaking up. Right. <laughs> I don't want to do this ever again. This was great, but no. But let's again. let's now we're Ugh. kind of stuck here on this loop for another mile and a half. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> so yeah, a text feels a lot better than a three mile breakup walk. <laughs> a three mile breakup walk. <laughs> Did any of the characters say that that was how they would do it? It was a three-mile breakup um, walk. So, so far, we have, like, basically, like, half of us down. Um, um, I say text, um, and Dante, my favorite character, uh, I, yeah, my favorite, like, other Strix character uh, will take someone to uh, basically, a do- like, breakfast, and then kind of like break it, break, break them down slowly. Whereas, you know, Amethyst is like, hey, like we can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's so fun. I have, you know, being married for almost two decades now, it's like, man, 
I don't even know how I would break up with someone at this point. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a it's a, it's a wild question. Uh, technology um, has changed so much. Like, yeah, maybe text is normal. I don't know. Uh, maybe you cre- yeah. create your own YouTube channel just to break up with someone. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, <laughs> a special Snapchat filter. You're single. Now. You're single now. In D D, you're just like let me cast a real ritual <gasps> or, ascending. Like, yeah. I mean, I know there were like those stories about people's significant others changing their their relationship status before like they had been privy to. There's a yeah. lot of terrible ways to do it. But I'm yeah. I'm sort of interested in the, this idea of getting to know your D&D character by ask, asking them or asking yourself real world questions like this. Like what would Amethyst, what does Amethyst eat for breakfast? So we know Amethyst gets up real early and works out and is it like a high protein uh, diet or Am- Fasting? Oh, yeah. What? No, I think Amethyst uh, really likes well-rounded breakfasts. <laughs> yeah. Um, Amethyst apparently, and by apparently, I mean someone else was like, "Hey, this feels right," and I agreed. Uh, Amethyst likes to cook, <laughs> um, so well, it's definitely like waking up and like seeing what's in the fridge, and like you know, if gro- if there's not a lot of groceries, it's like, what can I make from this? But if like, mm. if given the choice and time, which will be every time because she makes time <laughs> for it. <laughs> um, she's going to have like fruit, eggs, like some meat, like maybe something like rice or something like eggs over rice or just like kind of like, and, a, and like half a plate of vegetables, just like as well-rounded or something wow. that tastes good. Yeah. Um, because like, you know, you can't, can't be your best if you like, if you're not enjoying yourself and you know, that, that means no. food too. Do you think amethyst would be the, the type of person that if somebody came over unexpectedly, would Amethyst like just start pulling out the snacks? Hundred percent. Yeah, I'm kind of getting. It. She well, Amethyst is a cleric, right? You yep. said, yeah. That kind of I feel like that tracks kind of nurturing. Yeah, right. And- kind of nurturing. It's mm-hmm. so well. I've actually one thing that I feel like I don't talk about enough anywhere, which it never comes up, is Amethyst's relationship to clericdom. Um, because it's more it's cl- more closely related to what you would think as a, as a paladin rather than just kind of like I serve a god. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I said, she, I think what me and Lexi talked about was that one she's kind of like blessed with like the blessing of the forge, which I think is like a cleric thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at childhood, she just kind of like has that. Um, but following that up, the things that she prayed to is not neither a god nor like. I don't know a third option, uh, but is to like her weapons and not and herself and the future that she can have uh, as a cleric and the future weapons that she ever will make. Cool. I know that's really. I I like exploding that idea of what a cleric is because I'm not a very spiritual person myself, and so having to role play someone who is can be sometimes fun, but sometimes I'm just like I want to. I want to have the skill set and the and the and the character archetype without having to have all that baggage of, you know, saying uh, that they pray all the time. Yeah, yeah. You can. I, oh, good. Sorry. No, I, I, go please. Oh, I talk so much. <laughs> Literally, anyone can solve me at any point. Um, I think, and like same game designer kind of brain for me of going back to the root of it. I think when it comes to that and what makes it easier for me is I think about it as reverence. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Like what does it mean to believe in something? What does it mean to kind of take from that? Like how does religion usually manifest? It's it's people wanting to believe in something. Um, You see that a lot through history. And I think kind of like 
not only to believe in yourself can go beyond like that idea of like oath and paladin, but to believe and to revere something kind of like I feel for me, you know, I if they don't think I'm wrong, don't tell me. Um, <laughs> to, is to revere to be able to revere like your weapon or this thing that you're into is just kind of like it's it so beautiful to me. I was like, I love this. I'm doing this. Yeah. To revere a craft too, like I like that too. Like that, that's it's it's something like making the weapon. It's not just the weapon itself, right? It's it's the fact that that amethyst created it. Uh, where does that inspiration come from? That's the idea that that is what she's reverent to, or, or it sounds like. Yeah. Yes. Everything that. that goes into it, before, after, and anything that will come. Now I want to make like a cleric of creativity, like a cleric of inspiration. I know it's a. Cool interpretation. You can yeah. interpret whatever your god is. I like that. I, very, yeah, it's yeah. inspiring. Uh, like, can we talk a little bit about? We've mentioned you as a game designer a mm -hmm. few times. So, can we talk a little bit about your um, what your tabletop game design history and and what all that looks like? Yeah, so I've been in the space, I think, for like a year now. Um, and one of the, and outside of like, when I was like, I want to do a podcast, um, the second thing that I did when I joined the tabletop space for me was um, was game design. And I think a lot of it came out to um, like, I, I think about game, I think about like my game design journey in a lot of steps, because that first step for me, I think was like spending eight or nine hours on like D&D Beyond and like homebrewing a bunch of weapons for my like my game. Um, and I think like for me, what it came down to is I, I was at a point in my life in which like I was doing a lot of the same things. I was getting a little like burned out from kind of like specifically playing like with the same people that I was with. Like I need a lot of variety in my life at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the first things I did in streaming was playing a, a different game. Like I don't even remember what game it was. It was like uh, like some Powered by the Apocalypse game um, with like a group of friends who I'm still who I still know and like create with now um and i think kind of like it was that point of like hey i have reached a current like plateau in you know me spending too much time on D, D beyond and i need something else to kind of like satisfy my brain or my curiosity or all of these thoughts that i have that i need to kind of put onto paper um and then it, and I, and I think it kind of, it started, I can say for sure. It started, I think like sometime after my birthday, uh, September 6th, I am a Virgo. Uh, to <laughs> anyone that hears me. Give, <laughs> thank you. Only right, a week yeah. or so ago. A week ago. But, hey, you know, a belated birthday wish is better than no birthday <laughs> wish. Um, I had like, I had like started writing out a game of like, hey, what if superhero, what if like you lived in a world in which like superheroes, uh, in which like superheroes existed, but you're normal. <laughs> Um, and that was like, <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's like so fun and funny. Um, I think I do exist in that world. Right? It feels... <laughs> Sometimes when we talk to designers here, it feels yes. like that, right? <laughs> you're like, you, you know what you're yeah. doing. Yes. No, literally. And that was that was my first game that I'd ever like penned to paper or keyboard to screen <laughs> um and from there it was just me saying well what do i what do i kind of want and need in this moment um and how can i make that happen and what will allow me to what would allow me and other people to make a 
a fun story for three to four hours or something. So I just kind of, I slapped them on a website and I just kept yelling about games. And a year later, I've made like 10 games with like six in the, uh, like 10 micro RPGs with like six in the backlog. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah, everyone, everyone yells at everyone's like you do too much and i'm like look i have this is this is what i have fun doing um and like and i i don't i don't i don't know what other people do i truly don't i, I like <laughs> i read i read a lot of things so I, that's i'm lying to you i do know what other people do uh whenever i get a huge bundle i actually like to go through and read all of the games because for me it's somewhere between like knowing what other mechanics people do um and knowing like what like what other ideas are people doing? Like what 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 are, what are the what does what's what thoughts are inside everyone else's brains? I'm dying to know. Yeah, well, and then those are the building blocks that you kind of have in your head, and it works for for all types of creativity. Like a filmmaker who doesn't watch films isn't isn't feeding that brain at all, right? And so a game designer mm-hmm. who doesn't read or play other games, you know, you're not getting that kind of constant, you know, building blocks similar to eating that then you can, you know digest and make something hopefully really awesome and new that metaphor fell apart when i realized what happens after you eat something i'm like wait that's not what this is but (laughs) it's kind of like the editing process the process (laughs) the process (laughs) (laughs) but i love that i think that's really cool and i think uh, i love i I played a a couple of um you know more micro rpgs that are Mm -hmm. you know that that in some ways they're almost like mini settings that has yes. very specific rules. And I just love that the, the hyper specificity of that is so interesting because you know exactly what you're going to play that that session. Yeah. And like my, a lot of my like, what it, not like creative philosophy, I guess, or in terms of, well, no. Well, what I like to do is like explore the, not only the mundane, but like the the minutia of things, mm-hmm. of like what would it look like if you were a magician uh, who wants to? <laughs> this is very specific. You are correct. What would it look like if you were a magician, like wanting to commit crimes? Like, and then what does crimes mean in that context? And then I ended up making a game called Magic and Misdeeds, mm-hmm. um, which I I have so much fun playing because it's like yeah yeah you could just say you're a magician, but like what's your stage name? Like, like <laughs> how how much magic do you? Like, do you like magic or do you like to, to to crime it up more? Are you like sneaky or just like persuasive? And it's like things like that bring me a lot of joy to be able to think about. And and it's one of those things that I think like pervades through not only like my game design, but like my my tabletopness, like my playing, my DMing, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think D D fans should also play other games like the ones you're describing, because Again, it adds to the flavors uh, a little bit. And for some, Dungeons & Dragons can be so open-ended and so able to do so many different things that when you're starting out, you're not really sure what to play or how to to do anything. And I think what these somewhat more specific um, uh, games do is just push you down that path. And you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then you have all the mechanics and all the choices like you were just talking about that kind of are in a specific theme. And then... After you've played that, you can then bring some of those ideas back to your D and D play if you if you if you so choose, and then yes. you're like that much more enriched because of it. I agree wholeheartedly. Like it can be, I love D and D with my whole heart. It's literally non metaphorically the first game that I play, and you know I will be playing for a long time after that. But there is someone once said to me, and it, and I and I had to sit with this because I 
when, after you've played for so long, you're like, oh yeah, like this game isn't that hard. But in re- like realistically, there are a lot of things you have to learn to be able to play D&D effectively. And that can be so difficult as a first-time player. I remember like being a first, like sitting down, being a first-time player and like someone is like, okay, a saving throw. And I'm like, okay, what's that? And it's like, well, here's like, you have to have your spell save DC. Okay, how do I calculate that? Okay, well, after even after you learn that, your spell might have seven different effects of like, now you're paralyzed, but that's different than uh, restrained. Um, and it's like, there's a huge learning curve that you kind of have to take in. And while like, I'm, I'm okay with that sort of thing, not everyone is. And I think just like, sometimes you want to be able to, sometimes you want someone to be like, hey, there's four things on here. You do this and we have a good time. And you know, that it can be, it can be a great, like to get you into more tabletops. Yeah. Or, or, and a pilot cleanser too, in between long. Oh my campaigns. God. Yes. Right. I, you can have, go ahead, Shelly. Oh, no, go. No, finish that sentence. I just. I forgot even what I was going to say, so go for it. <laughs> Palette cleanser, sorry. I just goes like, I checked out your website, and everyone should definitely check out your website, Scholastic Dragon, um, because is it scholasticdragon.com? Might as well, I think it's like, might as well uh, give like the proper website. Scholastic Dragon. Anyway, your games are all on there, um, mm-hmm. and they're so. They're, it's so cool. Like, they're, they're all so different. Yeah. And there's just like, oh, like a little short game to just, you know, drop in here or a player, you know, something for like mm-hmm. two people. But I'm, I love the one about letter writing. Yes. That one was one that I, I thought to myself, I want to make something short, um, but I also want someone to have had the tools to like start world building because world building is something that's very important to me. Yeah. Um, and in that game specifically, I know it's called Through the Water, in which like uh, the premise is basically like, and and I th- went, but and I thought like, what would what would what would someone be able to like create a world without like thinking too much about it? Um, you have to literally write a letter about like what world you're in, and then like send it through a water. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, go find the water. Like, how did you find the water? Where is this water? Is it in like your bathtub, or are you out in a creek? Um, and I think kind of like once you get a starting point, you can do so much. Yeah. And like I'm looking at was looking at the guidelines and it, it, each letter must end with a question from the writer to the recipient. The subject or title of the letter must contain by the means by which you send a letter. It's like so simple, but yet intentional. Yeah. Um, and I was when I was going through your games, I think because this is kind of top of mind for me because of D&D has a school program that's launching now it's we okay. have created teaching kits but there's things in here that i feel like would be really good activities to do with kids too mm. that like yeah. are like fun classroom activities just like if you ever want to you know continue doing way more than you probably have time to do but <laughs> like this that's letter writing thing i think would be super cool for the kids to do like pick a partner in the class and just it's great writing practice but again in such a fun way that you wouldn't really that you're actually writing right yeah. i mean you can do that now with if if, if kids are in a dnd club or something like that but be like yes. write a letter from one from your, your character pl- yeah one of your characters to an npc or to uh, a fellow character right like, yeah what would that mean and then you get to practice all those skills but it also feels like we're still playing the game or it'd be yes. really cool if like in a game of D&D, I guess for adults too, but like I said, I got kids in school on the brain right now. <laughs> but what if it's like, okay, everyone, everyone write a letter to another character 
but from some from a surprise. Like it could just be like, oh, this is like the in the baker letting you know that your order is ready. Or it could be like a long lost relative that you didn't know and has uh, a treasure for you to uncover or a, whatever. Like it would just be a fun way to get like the kids to be able to tell a different part of the story and impact some of the game with other characters. I don't know. Now, I want to play with See, kids again. You're inspiring I, us, CJ. Yep, I was just about to say, I, lo- I love the, the the idea generation is all that I'm about. Um, it's funny that it's really, I don't bring this one up because it usually doesn't come up. Um, I actually am an educator. Oh. Uh, I was briefly a substitute teacher and I also have a master's degree in higher education. No okay, I must have sensed <laughs> that about you. Yes, but yes, I am an educator. A lot of the things that I do are very intentional for that reason of not only like education, but at least an inspiration or like having a being able to like start something properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you ever used uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons or role playing games while while educating? It must be hard as a sub. Yeah, it although is you'd be the, literally the coolest sub ever. <laughs> <Really? Thank you. laughs> Every kid would be like, oh, "Please, today please, we're going to play D&D for literally history D&D. class." <laughs> uh, I have not, but my friends talk about it a lot. They are like they're like full blown teachers um, who do like middle and high school and like youth, y- young, younger, right. elementary. There we go. I figured it out. <laughs> youth, um, youth <laughs> younger other, students, you know, the others, the youngest of us. Small. Small people. Small. Yeah. Um, but they've done it before. They've like taught like their fellow like teammates things um when we were in college, like using tabletops. It worked really well for them. Um, I'm sure it would work for me as well. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there's a there's there's so much good inspiring content on your website. It was yeah. fun to do a little Thank deep you. dive there. I want to talk uh, a little bit more about world building because you have mentioned yes, that me a too. couple of times too. And that's really, really fascinating. I'm writing, you know, a fantasy novel now that has a lot of built world behind it. And of course, everything that's going on with D&D. So how, how do you approach that type of uh, uh, discipline, I guess? Uh, uh, I love world building so, so, so much. I love telling people about world building and I love like trying to help help folks doing world building. Um a lot of my world building comes through a lens of like being a marginalized person and like it's a whole like and having the understanding of like world building can be and this is this is probably the hardest part of it world building can be anything that we want it to be which like is like starts off a whole thing um but a lot of my world building and a lot of the things that I try to tell people uh, comes from the lens of something called like radical imagination, which I learned in grad school at first. And my friend brought up to me like recently and it like kickstarted, like it, it gave me words to be able to like say things. Hmm. Um, but basically what that, like what the idea of like radical imagination is and like it, my version is like a, uh, a subsect is like being able to picture a world in which like, you have the things that you want to see or you're able a world that you can like dream of a world that you can use as kind of like a, 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 a ground to be who you want or see what you want or have what you want. Um, and while that sounds very like broad, 
if you think about it in not only the terms of yourself, but in the like my own terms, mm-hmm. I think of a world in which I feel safe or a world in which I don't have to like get online and see really, really mean things about like just my existence or like, or like I, or where I don't have to like debate my own identity or just like a wide variety of things. And while it may look different for maybe you or literally anyone else thinking about their world, to be able to think about like, what do I want to, what do I want to see in the world? is a very easy starting point or like what what did you see recently that you would want to change um because i think that that helps a lot of things because um let's let's i think even thinking about in terms of i guess like the stricts um being able to say like what if i existed in a world in which like i didn't have to like what if i existed in a world in which i could go to college and i didn't have to think about like crippling debt Mm -hmm. um (laughs) Or what if, what if, what if like I was driving down the road and like, I could just cast a spell Um, and then like going from there, because it creates such a robust and beautiful um, world building process. Um, Because I like to ask a lot of people questions. I like to ask like, what do you want to see? Like, what does this mean to you? Like, where does that go? Because I think a lot of people get stuck on the very minute details of world building of like, oh, what's my water system going to be like? Um, like, <laughs> what's, what's the politics? Um, instead of instead of thinking, what do I want to see? Um, because I think it then kind of like flips on its head and allow you to come at it from a different perspective. Um, just thinking, I have a great one um, because in my home game, so nowhere that anyone can consume and it's really nice sometimes, but like I, one of the places I've created with my players and I've asked them is to think about what does community mean for you? Uh, What does community mean for me? And what if you existed in a community? What if you existed in a, in a city, a whole city that just cared so deeply about each other um, and, and like, cared about like your well-being and community and you could like walk outside and knock on your neighbor's door and they would be like yeah come on in like we're having dinner like we don't even know you but like that's what this is about um how beautiful would that be and how would that influence everything else because yeah i could talk about money but like what if we just talk what if we just what if we explore the idea of like vibing (laughs) vibing (laughs) vibing absolutely vibing i love that i think there's you know i you haven't used this term, but it reminds me a lot of how uh, Aja George and a lot of the people around Radiant Citadel were describing that setting as being solar punk, where it was mm-hmm. like, we're just, it's going to be radically different, and but it's also going to be uh, supportive and a, a home base that feels safe without any of the, the kind of grim, dark stuff that fantasy can sometimes uh, lend towards. And all the amazing stories that can be told with that lens, uh, you know, that sounds just, you know, very similar. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like I have to say a lot of the pushback that I tend to get when I tell people this is they'll, they'll respond with the question of, well, do you just want happy stories or like, uh, like no, no problem ever. Um, and the answer is no, because having like being able to, ideate what you want does not automatically like take a lot of things off the table um it's also why i care very very deeply about safety tools um and Mm -hmm. like uh like the creative process because a lot of what um me telling people and me myself um trying to create things that like are more i guess self-indulgent might be the word also 
allows me to be able to say like, well, what can I leave out? What, what doesn't need to be here? How can I not, how do I not repeat tired old tropes? Like, oh God, this like, like slavery and fantasy or mm-hmm. just like, uh, like some other very, very sad thing uh, because you can create a lot of things without just kind of like replicating the wheel or even replicating the wheel in a good way. Like one, one of my favorite shows is Transplaner. Um, they don't do any of the like bad isms or phobias that is necessary, but it is a grim, dark, <laughs> sad, and depressed. I love, I love it. Uh, one time I've, I tweeted like, I'm too happy. Let me go listen to Transplaner. Um, <laughs> and they're like, you're right. Um, but, but you can still you can have conflict. You can still have mm-hmm. storytelling w- w- with this being the premise that it doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, and this is no knock on Baldur's Gate, but like, you know, the city of Baldur's Gate is always thought of as being like, oh, it's this awful place and, you know, den of, uh, of scum and villainy. And that can be super fun, mm-hmm. you know, in small doses. But it's like having that premise of like, no, it, the, the setting itself is not awful by default. Yes. And I think that mm-hmm. that can sometimes yeah. be really liberating. Yes. I think it's interesting because you'd say with world building, sometimes people get bogged down in the minutiae. But I also think with world building, a lot of people are more literal and like it's more like visualizing a map of this is my world. And hearing Mm -hmm. you both talk about like not tan, like just open concepts of your world as opposed to like in my world. There are seven churches, there is a mountain range, there is a stream that runs between it, you know. Um, so it's, I like the idea of how starting with like, what, what, what do I want to see in this world? What do I want to feel? What is, you know, the vibe of the world and all as opposed to, it's just an, a, a different mind shift. I think for some people, when it comes to world building, it's not just like, what is what is the map of your world? <laughs> what does it look mm-hmm. like? It is, it's all about... Who inhabits this world? How do they think? How do they feel? What is the day to day? And I love maps. <laughs> I love yeah. maps too. They're I necessary for this. But you could certainly get into the details. But what I've found is that there's a lot of world building that people can do that will never see the light of day. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. like that. You can spend you know uh, tens of thousands of words describing your world and the history and and all that stuff, but that's kind of meaningless unless it comes up in the story, right? And so, mm-hmm. or in the game session, uh, as, as, as the case may be, right? And so you kind of want to have these broader strokes. Like, this is the way I've been approaching it, maybe more as a lazy DM. But <laughs> you have to have these broad strokes of like, okay, themes and theses, and then be like, all right, fill in the details whenever necessary, but as long as they all connect back to those original themes. Does that make sense, CJ? Is that what you're describing? Yes, hundred percent. That's actually it's literally what I do with like all of my campaigns. I like even if the broad stroke is uh, like (laughs) fantasy circus, which is an (laughs) action that it is it is it is my next show, literally, not metaphorically. Um, (laughs) Like fantasy, sad fantasy circus. Um, Me and my players, me and whoever I'm playing with, are then able to say, "Well, okay, like, what does this mean? What am I doing in the circus?" And I think, like, sure, call, I'll call it a la- like. I love being a lazy DM. The less work I have to do is great, but more flipping that and saying, the more that I can inspire the people around me to want to create themselves mm. is so much better than just me, like putting in nine churches and saying like there's 12 <laughs> mountain ranges around you like 
yeah, sure, that's cool, but like, and I don't want I don't want people to have to do homework. I I get it. Like I I'm a I'm a GM because I like to be because I like to write these things down. But something that I always try to and it, it literally is seen through all my work. Something that I always try to do when it comes to me creating or me making a game or me being a GM is to look at the person in front of me and say like how can you have like how how can you put something that you enjoy into this because that's what's going to get you through this that's what's going to allow you to do this um one of my friends who i've been playing with literally since college um because i play with a different friend group now like after college that i do during college and she comes from like that era she's in both eras they're in both mm-hmm. eras um i had said to them like hey uh, I'm going to be doing a lot, but none of that has to impact you. What do you want to see in this? Like what I know you like vampires. So how can you implement that into this? Or like, I know that you want to take some of your culture here. Like, can you throw that in there? And you don't have to like do a lot of work. And actually often they never do any work. They think about, they get to sit in the moment and think about like, Oh, what do I want to throw in here? How do I like not only improv or like, how can I write a few notes down and then like, make it how can cj make it more robust afterwards you just have to give me a little bit and we can take it a mile because i think that then creates a symbiotic like collaborative relationship of not only world building but like just fun play that's what this is all about right this is all about people getting together around the table in front of the camera and uh making stuff up together and yes anding all the way through Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i love all that um, this is exciting. I love uh, uh, everyone. Um, should in fact check out your website, Scholastics Dragon, but for sure. dot card dot co. But I'll let you, uh, <laughs> CJ, say the rest of your uh, um, uh, deets. I guess uh, all the uh, uh, social media stuff. I, I'm blanking on words today. My bad. <laughs> words, <laughs> words. So so hard. Yeah, um, sometimes the hardest. But yes, uh, hi, hi, thank you for having me. Just sincerely, thank you for having me. This was very awesome, very exciting. Um, to anyone that's looking for me, uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Scholastic Dragon. One word, uh, Scholastic like the book fair, uh, Dragon <laughs> like the mythical creature, but drop the O on Dragon. Um, if you want to watch The Strix, you, the all-black HBCU-inspired D&D 5e campaign at the illustrious Strixhaven, you can find us on Twitter <laughs> at The Strix U. Currently, we stream on Black Girl Mage's uh, Twitter, or, sorry, Black Girl Mage's Twitch. Um, you'll probably find us somewhere different in a year. Uh, that's a whole process. Um, and if you <laughs> just generally want to find my games, my work, my stuff, uh, you can like type in on your computer, Scholastic Dragon. There is an O on that one. Uh, <laughs> dot card, C-A-R-R-D dot C-O. Uh, or I think itch.io backslash like Scholastic Dragon. Something like that. Oh, and your games it are up there It is worth too. the trip. Yes, all the so. games are up there. Oh, it's scholasticdragon.itch.io. It's actually a lot more simple than what I was saying. We'll put um, it in the... We'll put yeah, your no links worries. in the show notes too. Yeah, I... Yeah, I'm not worried. I just like I, I sometimes it's for me. Sometimes I'm like, what are my what are my sites? <laughs> yeah. After and then it gets like ingrained and then you end up being like, wait, I've been saying it wrong this whole time. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. <laughs> no. For some reason, I, I always said itch io itchio. I don't know why I always I, thought Yeah, I, I hear that too. And I'm like, is that correct? I have no idea. Nobody's ever told me. No. Um 
it's like uh, when you're reading a fantasy novel uh, and you say the words out loud for the no. first time in front of someone. I always have like a moment of hesitation. Be like, am I going to be saying this wrong? I've only read this word. They write or my right? Oh God, it is a whole. You've you've sent me into a spiral. <laughs> <laughs> Do they pronounce the apostrophe? I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of X's right? in lots There's of things. There's so many. Apostrophes and consonants. Consonants, and how do they all go together? (laughs) Where is the vowel in this name? Well, it's been awesome, CJ. I am excited for more people to check out uh, everything you're doing as well as this tricks you on uh, Black Girl Mage's Twitch. So go to it. Make it happen. And keep writing games. Yes. (laughs) More games, please. And curriculum. Let's do it. I will try. Oh, that's so good. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. I feel so inspired. Inspired. That is the word. That is absolutely the word. That was really fun. Um, I do feel like we could have picked their brain a lot more just on the world building. I know, right? Scratched the surface. But they definitely gave us inspiration just like a bard would. Yeah, uh, definitely check out their website because I'm telling you, there's a lot of really fun games on there that can be um, it just fun, like you said, palate cleansers in between games or just a way to engage with kids or adults, just something different. I yeah. love it. I and love then, it. you know, in elementary and, and middle school, they always have assignments that they have to write letters or do things like that. Like, why not make it as your... Yeah, I was so like, definitely that should be something that every educator does out there. Yes, I agree. And you can because of all the amazing resources that are available very soon (sighs) for people uh, who want to run Dungeons and Dragons uh, in either a club setting or in their classrooms itself. Uh, they, so, yeah, they're exciting, available right? now. They're available now. Now, 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 now. Yes, you absolutely go check out playdnd.com. We will take that'll take you to our new player hub where we have tons of resources for people who want to get started playing D&D. There is a tab there that's called for educators. Hit that tab if you are somebody who is in charge of educating children or wants <laughs> to like, you know, play D&D with kids or just come up with some cool activities to do. That, that will take you to a link where you can download these amazing teacher kits for grades four through six and six through eighth. And that's also where you'll get information on how to request an after-school club kit. If, you're, uh, if you work at an enrichment center or a library or a school and you're, or you're a parent and you're like, you know what, it would be fun to have a after-school D&D club for my kids Go there, request your kit. Uh, all the information is is there. Everything you need will be in that kit, including a copy of our brand new beautiful starter set, Dragons of Stormrock Isle. Some cool flyers that you can hand out to the kids, a poster so you can advertise your club, um, a demo and some instructions. So if you're a new new to dungeon mastering or anyone who wants to take that role is new, it'll it should be very straightforward. So get the kit, get the curriculum. Get kids playing D&D. It is good for them. Excellent. It is. I want to request one of those kids for my after-school club. I requested one. Uh, let's do it. All right. We'll have West Seattle taken over by storm. Wreck. Pretty much. Isle. Oh, man, that was good. <laughs> it is. Um, 
yes, West Seattle kids are definitely going to be very versed in Dungeons and Dragons. I love it. I love it. So, uh, if you want to find out about all that stuff, go to uh, playdnd.com. Yes. Other stuff, you can go to D&D Beyond to find out all the latest news about what's going on with Dungeons & Dragons, including uh, amazing videos and articles, not to mention all the source material that you need to run Dungeons & Dragons and make your own characters. Yes. If you want to follow me, I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. You can find out about my Star Trek podcast and the short film I just made and all the other fun stuff that is going on with me. What about you, Shelly Moo? You can find me at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. And Greg and I will be um, probably posting a lot more about our book that's coming out this December. Welcome to Dragon Talk. Available now for pre-orders. Available now for pre-orders. We'll put that available in the now for pre-orders. Show notes for sure on how to make show that notes. Show enough. Show notes. Get it and in there. Speaking of show notes, uh, Drunky Two Shoes is at a show right now. Oh my God! The King of Segways. She is watching a dance <laughs> performance on the Radiant Citadel, talking to a mother and her child, trying to find out a little bit about what's going on. Uh, so, yes, you, you're seeing these male dancers are, uh, these two lead male dancers are going back and forth and trying to, uh, court one another while the rest of the dancers behind them are shaking sheets of metal and, and making, like, scenery, and, uh, it's all very beautiful and alluring. Uh, okay. And, and there's a small crowd here that you have infiltrated <laughs> and, uh, have been chatting with a mother and her small child, about, you know, three or four years old. Yes. Are they still around me, or have they just been? Like, yeah, no, they're there. They're they're. I mean, they're watching the show, but they're they're still conversing with you. Okay. Um, excuse me. Do you know if there's like a like a library somewhere somewhere that I can get access to public records? I'm really interested in this place and the history of this place. Oh well, yes, of course. Uh, you can head towards uh, the um, citadel there, and she points towards the large amethyst. Uh, there's there's lots of official areas within there. I'm sure they'll be able to help you with any information you may need. Oh, I think that is very, very kind of you. And the daughter oh. says, Shh, I'm trying to watch the show. Is she cute about it or is she being a little jerk? She's on that line. She's riding that line. Okay. Well, I'm going to... Um, because of that, I'm going to just cast Minor Illusion and make a really big, beautiful lollipop and go, here you go. Thanks for your help. <laughs> she brightens up and is like smiling. Oh, thank you. What is it? Poof. <gasps> Peace out. She and cries. then I, sorry. Sorry, mom. And then I run off. Uh, the Teach mom. your kids some manners. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, the no. The mom frowns. She's like, oh. <laughs> Just don't pay any attention to that tabaxi. Just look at these dancers. Oh, I can't believe she's <laughs> Okay. But before I go in the direction she told me to go, I want to get up closer to these dancers. Okay. So you kind of like kind of leave and then circle around to the, uh-huh. to where they're performing. All right. Yeah. And you see them. They're very. You know, there's a lot going on. There's actually a few people on the back, like who are doing lighting effects using uh, minor illusion or, or illusion type magic to like create um, some of the <laughs> lighting that you're seeing. 
is I feel like there's something weird happening here. That's not, I don't know. Something's just making the fur on the back of my neck stand up. Okay. What are you going to do? Uh, I don't, can I do like a perception check or sure. investigate like something just to like see what's well, happening? Investigate means you have to kind of go in and like All right. mess it up a little bit. I'll so just I think do some. Perceiving from I'm a perceiving, but oh. you are definitely like kind of like behind where they're performing, so you might get a different. So go ahead, what'd you get? Eleven. Eleven. So you see that um, this troop is working out of a uh, like a like a bag of holding. They have like things and props that they keep pulling out of there and then replacing things back into there. And you see a short woman who is. Uh, kind of holding up a rock to her ear, um, and you see her kind of whispering into it. Behind, a rock? Uh, yeah, behind the performers. I want to get closer to her. Okay. You want to do it sneakily, or do you want to do it uh No, I, it's boldly. probably... I'll just walk over there, just get okay. closer. You walk up to her, and she's saying, all right, and let's go with the orange fireball light. Oh. And go. All right. Cue Matthias. And then you see a, a dancer kind of run on and Stage do like a flourish. Cue Isabel. And then a female dancer runs on. Okay. The rock is kind of weird. Um, you're a magical creature, right? Roll me an arcana check real quick. Um, why is my bonus zero? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you just aren't trained in arcana. Five. A five. You think it's magical in some way. Okay. Is there anyone else around us? Um, right behind here, no. Most of the people who would be congregating are, are either part of the performance itself or are watching the show. So you're a little bit alone okay. uh, other than I, the performers and I'm this just gonna, woman. I'll just keep circling the area, just looking around. It just feels weird to me. Okay. Um, you circle around and uh, you uh, see um, three creatures. I want to say you know, humanoid creatures, and they're walking towards the large crystal in the center of this settlement. Are they part of the performance? No, but you just, you're walked around and you just happen to see three, and they're walking kind of like with with intention. Okay, I'm going to follow them. Okay, we'll pick up what's happening with those three next time. Okay. Oh. Yay!